Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees, Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help people overcome their weight loss obstacles in six simple steps so that they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But that old saying that it takes a village to raise a child really applies to our weight loss goals as well. Because the obstacles that we have to losing weight aren't always in the areas that we think they are. They're in other areas of our lives. We have obstacles and challenges in our relationships, in business, in our career, in our work, in our families. We have obstacles in our homes. We have clutter. We have mess. We have uh, things that we need to change in the home, but we don't actually have the resources to do so. We also can have other complex health issues. We can have injuries, or perhaps we're dealing with loss or trauma or grief of some kind. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps actually helps you to deal with all of that and enjoy healthy habits in those challenging times, we also need professionals to help resolve those obstacles for us. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in other professionals to help you overcome those obstacles. And today we have Lauren Windsor. Lauren is your decluttering and organizing coach. She brings a light-hearted and completely non-judgmental approach to decluttering as she reduces stress and overwhelm in her clients' lives. Lauren doesn't believe that we're born organized and wants to help you learn the strategies that work for you so you can curate your ideal life. So welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great having you with us today. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you help your clients, the main way that you help your clients? Sure. Thanks, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. And I suppose one of the main reasons that I'm here is that you and I have connected because we have such a similar approach, this no one size fits all kind of approach that what we teach uh, for you for diets and me for clutter is that these skills can help in so many aspects, if not all aspects of your life. So as you said, I'm Lauren Windsor, decluttering and organizing coach, and I help my clients uncover their lives by guiding them to develop strategies that work for them to understand their clutter so that they can overcome it now as well as into the future. I primarily work with women at various stages of clutter mismanagement through my online programs, but I also have a soft spot for working with neurodiverse people and children in their homes to help them build lifelong skills and strategies to deal with clutter. Ah, I did not know the second part. We will talk more about that as we go cool. along. Actually, I think I'll talk about that now. So why not? Can you tell me how that works? So what was it, people who are neuro? Neurodiverse people. So typically that term neurodiverse comes up for people with autism, ADHD, those kind of things. Um, you know, some people don't want to call them disabilities. Yep. Personally, yep. I often don't see the disability part, but the people whose brains just work a little bit differently than the norm. Yes. And how they try and fit in with the world that we live in can sometimes be quite a struggle. So I personally have experience with this. Both of my children have been diagnosed with autism when they were quite young. And I've learnt that the way they deal with everything takes a little more work to understand because it's different than how I learnt. And it's different than their teachers learnt or their teachers have been taught to teach, that kind of thing. And I have just kind of by accident found that the majority of my personal one-on-one -on -one in home clients have had some sort of neurodiversity, whether that is, like I said, ADHD, autism, um, Tourette's, all sorts of different neurodiversities that have made learning these life skills, such as how to, how to tidy how to declutter, how to know the difference between something that was really important once and is actually going to be useful for me in the future. Like when we break it down, it's not rocket science, but man, it can be hard. 
It can, right? And and not just for people with um, neurodiversity. It, no, it's, it's hard for everybody. Because, yeah. as you say, we're not taught to be organised. We weren't born organised. And uh, it can actually be really, really challenging. Yeah. So I love that. And you- even if you are taught, like if you're taught by, you know, your mum or your sisters, it's often women, to be fair. Yes. The What works for them might not necessarily work for you because whether you have neurodiversity diagnoses or not, your brain is not the same as everyone else's. Well, everyone, everyone is different. So what works for me might not work for you, Katie. So I don't teach you what works for me. I might tell you what works for me, but I'm going to work with you to figure out what works for you. Which is such a blessing because, you know, um, my mother is very, uh, she should have been a designer. You know, her home is always beautiful. Everything is just perfectly placed, looks nice. It's all matched. And my dad was completely the opposite. (laughs) You could almost put my dad in the category of hoarder very close Mm -hmm. around the fringes there and somewhere in my learning of structure and order is a blend of the two now I have it more under control as a 56 year old where I'm more organized all the time but in my growing up years my teenage years I would have been called a pig because I just (laughs) no idea about organizing stuff even though mum was very organized And then as I grew and became an adult, I would fluctuate between the two. So I would become very unorganised and stuff everywhere. And then I'd have like a a hissy fit about it and spend weekend or days or however long and just make everything immaculate. But then slowly it would creep back to... Yeah, you're you're a binge organiser. Yeah, something like that. Now I'm yep. a bit more structured, but it still happens. I still have um, a need to see things. So if I put something away, it's forgotten forever. Mm-hmm. And so I like to have everything out where I can see it, which eventually creates mm. clutter. But see, understanding that about how you work makes a huge difference. And you didn't understand that when you were younger. Mm. Your mum probably didn't understand that either. So knowing that you need to physically see the item to know it exists is really important to how you make decisions based on where it belongs. Very true. I probably need to get you in and we can get a better system happening. (laughs) Oh, I think it's really interesting that you say that you, you've like, you are much better now than you were before and a better is relative, but you know, you've also done so much work around your your diet, obviously. That's what brought you to this, this whole world. And for me, it kind of went the other way around. I did so much work learning about clutter and organising and how to, you know, understand my reasons better. And that's what led me to this path. And, you know, as a snowball effect, it affected the other parts of my life. And yours is, you know, the diet has affected how you organise, I think. Yes, yes. You're no longer a binger. <laughs> exactly, you know, it, it has helped to organise your mind and your thoughts, organise your world, your external world. And That's you've been organising your mind and thoughts and external world and then you organised your health and weight loss habits, didn't you? Yes. I love change. I love human behaviour. Like I have never tired of trying to understand it all. We're so all interesting and complex in our own ways. Yeah, you just want to like pick apart everyone's brain. (laughs) Everyone you meet. I want to to understand. Tell me a story. Tell me more about how this happened. Absolutely. I'm with you there. I like a Rubik's Cube, you know, like if God had to create this, you know, where we could pull it apart and go, oh, right, now I get it. That's why I did that. You know, Mm -hmm. I always say my wiring's quite quirky, like I had a quirky electrician, you know, because you come in and you turn on the toaster, but the toilet flushes. I don't understand. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So, Lauren, one of the things that is really important about uh, Dietless Living 360 Degrees is that I like to talk to people about what are the hardships that they've gone through because we do all live a life of, well, it's a roller coaster, isn't it, being a human? There's lots of challenges along the way and just differences and things that we have to go through. And so if 
if you could share with us what is like your main hardship, like one of the biggest hardships or hardships that you've ever had to go through and mm. how was it that you dealt with it and are there some strategies and things because, you know, that's how the listeners will pick up some ideas for themselves. Yeah, sure. So I, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question and I was just thought, oh, you know, I, I am a white woman, relatively wealthy compared to the rest of the world. You know, I have all the privilege that you could possibly have, except, you know, I'm a woman. <laughs> and so it always makes me a little bit uncomfortable to say I've gone through hardship because, you know, th there's a whole lot to unpack about that sentence. Yeah, but yeah. I suppose there have been many sort of smaller, seemingly insignificant traumas in my life, just like everyone else has. As I've already mentioned, you know, I've, I have two children who have both been diagnosed with autism and that can be tri quite traumatic for a lot of people. Um, we, we didn't mention, but you mentioned that diet has been an issue for me in the past. I've always been quite overweight until recently. But for me, the, the big thing, the sort of overarching, overarching trauma, for lack of a better word, the real catalyst for change, I suppose, for me was the end of my relationship with my mother. Now, she didn't pass away, and it's a very long story, but the I suppose the cliff notes would be that I chose to leave that relationship. Mm -hmm. I chose to cut her out of my life after feeling that I had been pushed to my breaking point. That was really hard. Uh, it was really hard because obviously she's my mother, yeah. and I had to go through that grieving process that we all go through when we lose someone, but without any of the usual commiserations that come with the loss of a parent. Yes. Um, I felt very alone, like I'd not just lost her, but the whole family that she had tethered me to. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew it was the right call. And while it was very difficult, I never regretted it. I still don't regret it. Yeah. But it was possibly the hardest thing I have ever or will ever have to do. So that that's that's heavy for me. I was able to get through it by letting go of my need to please everyone, by allowing the people closest to me su to support me emotionally and by honouring my priorities and honing in on what my priorities are, um, as well as a bunch of much less healthy habits <laughs> such as binge eating and neglecting my physical needs. <laughs> but I learnt about that later on. That's it. You can't do everything all at once. That's the yeah. thing, you know, the... The coping skills of life just aren't all there all at once for us. We, we work through things in a progressive order, I think. It's a learning process. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 100%. So was that a long time ago that you did that? You know, I keep feeling like I should have a date and I cannot remember the date, but I want to say it was at least five, six years ago. Okay. It's good yeah. that you don't have a date. Yeah, it feels like the, like because it was such a big thing, it feels like there should be an easily marked point, but it just, yeah, it was more of a time period that it happened. So, yeah. Something that occurred. So mm. there are a lot of people that have challenging relationships with parents and siblings, people that are supposed to be our family, and we're taught that family is forever. Mm -hmm. And that we should, at all costs, I, I certainly have gathered this belief through um, my years, that at all costs we should hang on to our relationships in the family regardless mm -hmm. of the things that have happened. So it's not always a healthy thing to do and sometimes, as like you've said, the healthiest thing to do is to allow it to go. and that from your story is obviously very challenging and so is there three tips or pieces of advice that you could share perhaps with others that maybe are in a similar situation for whatever reason where they're feeling that that really would be for their best interest uh, to release somebody from their family of, of their family from their life yeah, for sure. So I suppose really try and listen to yourself. And I mean, for me, I like to write things down 
get those thoughts out of my head where I can see them. And that makes it easier for me to process whether I'm just sort of making a big fuss over nothing or if this is a real issue. And once you can hear those thoughts clearly or read those thoughts clearly and get a better idea of, yes, this is a real issue, this is a big problem for me and why, yeah. you know, am I actually unsafe here for whatever reason? Am I unsafe emotionally? Is this hurting me? Um, trust that. You know, you don't need somebody else outside you to tell you that this is not an okay relationship, yeah. whoever yeah. the relationship is with. You don't need someone else to approve your uncomfortable or painful state. Yeah. You can trust yourself in that. If you feel you need to get out, just get out any way that you can. Ask for help from people that you do trust and get out. But I understand that that's, that's a huge step and... If you can see that that's the path before you sooner than I did and try and find ways to distance yourself rather than cutting them out, that will make it a lot easier, I think. Um, Letting the rope tether away, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very much an all or nothing kind of person. I will hold on and keep trying and make it work and make it work and make it work until I just can't anymore and I rage quit. So I'm very dramatic. (laughs) And for me, I had to, and you know, it's happened in different relationships um, to a much less devastating degree that I've just gone, you know what, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Um, Usually with friends, but this one, you know, like you said, family is much harder because we all go through that. We grow up being taught blood is thicker than water. Family is everything. Respect your elders. Yeah. You know, I'm mum, that's why, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those kind of things that mean you just don't argue. Like you don't, you, you must respect them. You must put that relationship above all else and it's just not true. Yeah. You have to put your relationship with yourself above all else. And, yeah, trust that whatever is going on outside, what's going on inside is far more important. Yes. And you need to put your relationship with yourself first. And it's true, right? And it, like the biggest thing, so we had uh, Frances Borg was a guest on the show and she talked about uh, she's a couples relationship counsellor mm-hmm. and she talked about uh, in her hardships of, um, you know, the feeling of not belonging. And it's such a big thing because what you're talking about here and what we're both talking about here with family is it's such a um, a need to be within the family, you know, not to be ostracised, to have that feeling of belonging. And I know uh, through conversations that I've had with people and just, you know, all the reading and even just through my own self, when the family, it doesn't matter what's happening within the families, we really just, we have this, you know, it's such an innate thing to want to belong that we will, I don't want to say put up with, we will accept. Tolerate. Yeah, we just will accept mm. any kind of uh, whatever's happening. There's a photo in a newspaper. This is stuck with me forever. And I probably saw it when I was in my mid-teens. Mm. It was a photo in a, a newspaper, front page, huge splash across the page, you know, and it was a police person, a police woman, policeman, carrying a baby in a nappy on their shoulder and they were taking the baby from an abusive home right and the baby was just all arms like a toddler all arms just reaching for mother I guess in the background and just you know wailing and I asked my dad I said I don't understand what's happening in this picture and he he said that regardless of what's happening, we always want to stay in the family. Mm-hmm. And so whatever was happening to that child that needed to be taken away by uh, protective services, the, the human innateness of us says, I can't go, I must stay there. It's yeah. just so ingrained in us. So that must have been such a, like you said, it was your biggest hardship. For sure, yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much that holds us tethered to to the people that have raised us, to 
you know, for whatever good or bad has gone on, there's, there's reasons to stay. It's, you know, it's part of our DNA. It's to protect us. Better the devil you know, you know. Exactly. That's what I'd say our unconscious mind's motto is. Better the devil you know. Exactly. Hey, this I don't feels normal. For you, but we know. But it's normal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> normal you're you. normal. Not everyone, but it's yeah. your normal. <laughs> normal doesn't mean healthy. <laughs> no, exactly right. And, and it doesn't mean normal for other people. It's just your normal, mm-hmm. what you're used to. So thank you so much for sharing that. And on the back of that question, and maybe it's the same answer, I don't know, but what's the biggest risk that you've ever taken? Yeah, so it, it was the same answer. It is the same answer. Um, I, I still consider it as decluttering my mother. So decluttering mum felt like a massive risk at the time um, for the reasons we've just said, you know, you just you are tethered to these people. Um, but it actually wasn't as big a risk as um, I, I dropped out of uni to be a mum. Um, and more recently, well, a couple of years ago now, I quit my stable job to build my own business. And so those are, you know, three, for me, big risks. I'm not a risk taker, but, you know, like I said, all or nothing. Um, they were risks because, <clears throat> excuse me, they were just such big deviations from what I thought my path was meant to be, you know. And I took those risks because I truly felt like they were better than sticking to the original plan. And I'm very happy with all three of those choices. (laughs) That's it, right? Sometimes you just have to weigh it up and say, God, that's such a massive risk to make this change. Yeah. However, I can't see me staying on path A Mm -hmm. and and being happy. Mm, Exactly. It's like I'm this is not good enough right now. So something has to change. Yeah. So well done you. And is there would any of those or is there something else that would come under the banner of the biggest hardship that you voluntarily put yourself through mm. well th- those were all voluntary nobody ever forced me um you know in in terms of decluttering mum that was 100% my choice nobody had pushed me one way or the other there were no ultimatums or threats anywhere along the line and she would have been perfectly happy with us staying in that toxic relationship forever yeah, yeah as i said you know i made that choice i cut her out of my life at the risk of losing love and support from like my whole family potentially yeah. um but what it came down to was i did not like who i was when she was in my life i didn't like the mother I was I didn't like the partner I was and I I did not like who I saw in the mirror nothing felt good and yeah there was no there was no peace there was no fun there was no life in my life and I was determined for that to change so it was worth the risk because yeah look at you now everything's awesome now (laughs) so much better yeah. I, I cannot tell you what a difference that choice made in my life and as hard as it was, and it's still hard to talk about, as you can probably tell, like it's still tight, but that's a work in progress and I'm still dealing with the feelings that are uncomfortable about it, which are all, you know, learned stories. Yes. Um, I'm more afraid of what life would have been like, what I would have looked like now, what I would have felt like now if I had stayed on that path, on any of those paths for that matter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you touched on a really good thing. They're learned stories. And so it's really a process of rewriting our stories. We feel that we can't rewrite Mm -hmm. those stories because they are in our nervous system. They're in us. But there is that ability to do that it obviously you've got to learn the tools to to do that and I'm guessing from you know what you do with decluttering which I'd like to talk out a little bit more about because that does reach into so many other areas of people's lives it's not just getting your house in order in order it's actually getting so many other things in order as you're getting your home in order so it does some of that rewriting of stories happen through that process? It, it definitely does. And, I mean, that's, again, that's kind of why I do it. Like when I was going through that 
a breakup, if you will, the breakup with mum. That was definitely my turning point. I'd always loved organising. I loved things to be pretty, but I definitely struggled. Similar to to you, Katie, the, that sort of binge um, organising. Yeah. I never really understood how important the removal of stuff, not just moving, but taking things away from from the situation Um, because I I had always been raised to put so much emotion and value into belongings. That's just, that's how mum was. That's how life was. Um, Everything had some sort of a story and some, something to love about it. So the concept of getting rid of anything was very foreign, but I loved rearranging and trying to make things look pretty. And like your mum did, you know, I wanted things to look beautiful and perfect. Um, but when when I broke up with mum, uh, there was a lot of other things going on at that time. And part of that was that I had to clear out her house when she moved into state. Um, there was a lot of stuff in that home. Mm-hmm. She was very tidy. She was very clean, but she did not throw things away. Yes. So yes. she's kind of, she's what I call now a closet hoarder. So the house looks neat and tidy, but there's a lot there, like lots of little knickknacks, lots of decoration, but everything looks well-placed. Well-presented. Well-presented. But as soon as you open a cupboard, there's chaos. Uh-huh. No idea what's going on in there. There's just every millimetre of space is packed. You uh-huh. could see the walls because there were bookcases everywhere and every bookcase was packed, you know, two books deep yeah. and books yeah. all the way up so you could not fit anything else in there. She kept everything because she truly valued everything and it was exhausting it was exhausting to be in that space. It was exhausting to try and process that stuff to pack it up for her. It was exhausting to try and declutter it, knowing that she still wanted most of it. Yes. So I was trying to do this process with her on the phone, um, sometimes from a, a hot, when she was in a hospital bed. It was. It's a very long story. I'm not going to go into detail, but that decluttering process of her home and seeing this emotion in everything and trying to process logically and rationally and patiently with her to make smart decisions that didn't leave her feeling like she'd been had her stuff ripped out from her like I didn't want her to feel like I'd done this to her yeah that it was hard work for both of us and I could see how hard it was on her and when all of her stuff has, was dealt with. I came back to my home and my very small children and like a shed full of stuff and a garage full of stuff and things that I that mum had given me because she didn't need, she was willing to get rid of them, but I liked them. Yes. So yes. I took on some of her clutter. Yes. There was so much. And suddenly my house that, you know, mum used to accuse me of being a minimalist, like it was a swear word, like <laughs> you're such a and I've never been a minimalist, <laughs> still not. But that this house that had felt minimal by comparison was now overwhelming. Like I felt that there was too much of everything everywhere. And so I started to process my own clutter way more than I ever had before. And in that process, I felt myself, myself changing. Yeah figuring out why I was holding on to things and how I was able to let go of physical items changed how I looked at the other aspects of my life. Why am I holding on to this relationship? Why am I holding on to this thought or this story or this goal? Why am I holding on to these things if they're no longer part of who I want to be? Yes. And you know, little by little, and it might be one item at a time, like one pen, a pen that doesn't work. Yes. We don't need to keep, but we do. No, we keep so many things. Asking these questions prompted me to ask more and more and more questions, and the more questions I asked, the more answers I found and the more patterns I saw in my own behaviour. And when I can recognise those patterns, I can recognise the value in those patterns and then I can change them if the value is not high enough to be worth keeping. 
such a great story and so interesting, right, because we do have a relationship with everything we own. We either have, uh, you know, they sometimes call it uh, sunk cost bias. Oh, I spent a lot of money on it. I'm never going to use it. Or, you know, especially clothes in wardrobes that don't fit us anymore or they're so out of fashion or they're broke, you know, they're so worn. It's my favourite. And for me, the sentimental value, what you were saying about taking things from your mum, I know I've collected things um, from both my parents and from my brother who passed when I was 16, mm-hmm. still got things of his. Um, and that that exactly that I've got, you know, a, it's tarnished. It's a silver um, champagne, not a goblet, you know, the flat ones, a champagne glass. Thing. Yep, yep. It's silver. So it's completely tarnished. It's I got it when I was 17 still in the cupboard you know can't I just can't get rid of these things because they mean something to me and I remember reading um, a story about people who you know basically they're in a what they call a limit situation so perhaps it's like the people in uh, the Ukraine at the moment where you know they've had to flee their mm-hmm. home and leave everything behind and they will never see it again mm-hmm. either or they've lost it all in a fire or a flood or something and the the trauma of the stories that are attached to everything because it's your history yeah it's the history of me mm-hmm. and you know of course when we we die mm-hmm. who's going to get this history of me Mm-hmm. And so I've gathered all these things, you know, from my father. My father passed five years ago. Um, I, my mum gives us things that she says, oh, no, I'm not going to use these anymore and I'll take it, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And I think about it because I don't have children and I look at these things and I think, oh, these mean something to me. Mm-hmm. However, when I die, where's it going to go? You know, like they're yeah. just things they are just things, but it's okay to have things just because they make you happy. It is yeah. totally fine. And that's what I mean by I'm not a minimalist. Yeah. I have so many things that I just have because I like them. And it's funny you say that this sort of tarnished silver glass. Yeah. This is on my bedside table, which also happens to be like you might have noticed we're in my bedroom right now. This is my workspace. Um, this is a very tarnished silver jug that I have polished many times, but that belonged to my grandparents and when my grandfather passed recently and my grandmother went to a nursing home things got divvied up amongst all the family and I wanted that yeah and I still want that and I love that yeah and it has no meaning to anybody else nobody else in the family wanted it yeah I've got a big family nobody else wanted it um my kids do not know or care anything about that but it makes me happy so I keep it where I can see it all the time and it can make me happy. But your your silver champagne, yeah. whatever it is, <laughs> if it's in a cupboard, it's not making you happy. So I would ask you if there's a way that you can treasure it. Yeah. So we keep these things that are really special to us but we're not really treasuring them. Yes. So, I remember reading a story by, I don't know if you know, the comedian Corinne Grant. She wrote a book. She was a, a hoarder. I can't remember what the book's called. I, I still have it. <laughs> um, but what she did was she hired somebody to come and help her and she just couldn't bear to throw the things away. And the lady took photos of everything that she wanted to get that, you know, said, well, okay, so these dried old flowers that you have from that you got yeah. from whatever boyfriend, I'll just take a photo of them. So you'll still have the visual have memory. This, yes. But let's ditch the flowers. And I laugh when I read that because at that time on my dressing table were um, three very old, very dried up bouquets of flowers (laughs) that had been, you know, either gotten, I think it was the first dozen roses from a boyfriend, Um, the bouquet from my brother's wedding, you know, I was in the wedding party and there was some other flowers there and it's like possibly I should get rid of those. Possibly, but it is entirely up to you. And yeah. that's the thing. There's yeah. no there's no rule. People write rules, but they're, they're, 
arbitrary. <laughs> There's no rule for what you could, can or can't or should or shouldn't keep in your home. Yeah. It's entirely up to you. But the for me, the most important question is, do you want it? And then do you want, do you really want it? Or are you just keeping it out of habit? Are you keeping it out of obligation? Like, is it actually contributing to the life that you want? Yes. And who you want to become. Who you want to become. Like, does, does Katie in 12 months time, does she have those flowers in her living room? Yes. I, I remember asking myself many of those questions, you know, okay, so what's my goal for, you know, the next five years? And then looking around going, so does any of this, you know, whether it's the clothes you wear, the things you say, I'm saying, anything, it, how did all of this fit? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be a different person then, yep. how does how do we transition to there? And exactly right, got to work out what's going to go and what's going to stay and what's going to change. Yeah. It's it's a hard, long process. Like it's taken you your life thus far to get to this point and you have clutter from that whole time. Yeah. You might, even if you did lose a house in a fire or a cyclone, and I have clients who have had both of those experiences, you still carry the emotional clutter that came with that. Yes. I like and, the words, that, sorry to interrupt, no, I like the word that you used, obligation. Mm. We have an obligation to some of the items in our homes and life. Yeah. Sometimes that obligation is to the people who gave it to us, to the people we intend to give it to down the road, like children. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the obligation is to our past or future self. Like you're like, I'm going to get around to doing this thing is an obligation to my future self or it was really important to me when I was a teenager or you know at uni or whatever it was yeah this was part of my life when I used to work in an office that's an obligation to my past self who is not me now and is not me in the future and me in the future probably doesn't care about scrapbooking so I don't need to keep that (laughs) whole pile of scrapbooking crap you know (laughs) Uh, the sewer in me. I've, I've reduced a lot of my belongings because I, I lived out of my suitcase for five years, which meant everything went into storage while I did my travelling around. And so I reduced a lot of stuff that went in. But the scrapbooking just reminded me of the sewing because I used to love sewing. And, you yeah. know, anybody who's a sewer out there, you have a pile of fabric <laughs> that you yes. will never yes, use. They do. <laughs> yeah. That's a topic that comes up a lot in the um, in my online courses. There's a couple of members that have just popped into my mind to to check in on their sewing pile. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so what's your three tips? Obviously, if people have, uh, we will get to the end when we get to the end where we'll talk about your contact details and whatnot. But is there th- just three general tips that you could probably share? For people who are just looking around and saying, oh, I'd like to, you know, reduce yeah. what I have. Um, I have many, many, many tips. But to begin with, just make it as easy for yourself as possible. Don't sit around and wait until you've got, you know, a full weekend or a month or whatever. You know, most of us had some lockdown time over the past few years and you still didn't do it. Okay. Don't wait for a chunk of time to do these things. Deal with one thing at a time. Like, and I literally mean one thing at a time. Right now I'm sitting at my desk and I've just spotted that I've got a little hair clippy thing, one of those claw ponytail holders. It doesn't live there. It does not belong there at all. So I can very easily pick that up and take it to the bathroom and put it where it belongs. And that makes a difference. And we often overlook the tiny things that will make a bigger difference. So I can take two or three things and move them and I won't notice the time I lost in those, you know, 30 seconds, but it will make a difference to that space. So even if you've only got like the 30 seconds that you're leaving one room and going to another, pick something up and take it with you and put it away. So just start small, start easy. Do not try and tackle the whole house in one go. Yes, too much. No, you probably don't even have time to do your whole wardrobe in one go. If you do, brilliant. But start with just I've put that shirt on and it doesn't quite fit me and I actually never really liked it anyway, so I'm going to put it in my donate box. Which brings me to my second tip, the donate box. Um, Almost anything you get rid of, if you really wanted to, you could sell it. Most of us are not going to get around to selling it unless it's something very, very... um, 
financially valuable to another person. <laughs> to trap the selling thing, you end the up. Selling can be a trap. You can oh. keep piles and piles of stuff because it holds value. It probably doesn't hold as much value as the time you're putting into it. Yes. So I always have a donations box, like just a cardboard box that, you know, something has been delivered in. It's always close to my front door and everyone in my household can reach it and put things in it so my kids are a bit older now my kids are 10 and 13 i'm trying to count yes they're 10 and 13 still (laughs) and but they have known about that box since they were toddlers they know that when those clothes don't fit and you say mum this is too tight or mum takes it off you and says that's too small go and put it in the donate box they know where it is as soon as they can carry something they can do that job you do not have to do it all for you for yourself but having that donate box means the decision to get rid of something is so much easier. Yes. There's no, I'm going to leave that hanging in my wardrobe until I get around to doing a full wardrobe declutter. I put on the shirt. I decide it's not for me anymore. It can go straight to the box and the decision is made and finalized in seconds. That's just such a great idea because you could actually use like a laundry hamper, couldn't you? It doesn't, it's so, quite simple. And you can use anything you like. I do suggest using something that is, you know, more or less disposable to you. So whether that be um, like a, a plastic or paper bag from the supermarket or a, yeah. a delivery box or something, because then you don't even need to open it again. everything in there is ready to be donated when it's full close it up throw it in the boot of your car drive around for six months and then donate it (laughs) Um, drive around for six months i'm sure i saw one of those charity bins where is it (laughs) get to know where your charity bin is is very helpful um and you know if you're if you are purging regularly you will be wanting to drop off more regularly than every six months i certainly do but yeah, making that decision-making process easier and not waiting for the right time to declutter. If it's not working for you now, now is the time to get rid of it. Um, and there's probably a million tips already in yeah. there, but I'm trying yeah, to think good. of that's good. Uh, that's good. All right, we'll stop there. I'm sure I've got more. <laughs> that's really good. Like that's the, the, the best one, right, because it's right there by the door. It's a bag or a box. So as soon as it's full, tie it up and take it with you. And if you've remembered where there's a charity bin, because we still see them everywhere, I should write them down. So I go, oh, yeah, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. Just take it with you. I heard a good tip, and I tried to do it for a while, was for each day of the month, at the first day of the month, get rid of one thing. On the second day, get rid of two things. On the third day, get and, you know, it can be yep. just go through your cutlery drawer. Okay, I've got enough cutlery here for a party of 20. There's just two of us, so, you know. Maybe you don't need 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just do it like that, like you yeah. say. You go through yeah, you can definitely, there's all sorts of checklists and games and yeah. things. And if gamifying it or setting specific goals and stuff works for you, there are so many options like that. You can design your own, you can ask for help, and we can set up a system for you. But make it as easy as possible to keep yeah. it going as part of your life because we often look at decluttering as something that we're going to do and then be done. Yes. And it's not going to be done because you're still alive (laughs) and you're still doing things. If you're done decluttering, you probably aren't. Yeah. You're probably (laughs) dead. Well, you're just the most extreme minimalist ever. Yeah. But even minimalists continue to declutter. They just are so good at it that they don't notice. Well, it's funny because it comes in, something goes out. Yeah, the things come into your home even without you purchasing and whatever. You know, it's the the mail for starters. Um, and, yeah, just things that come into your home and the more people in your home, the more things that are just naturally coming in. So yep. such great tips. And actually what I was going to say about the one where, you know, get rid of uh, a number of things for each day of the Yeah, I think month. what you're talking about, it's called the Min's Game. It was popularised by a... A duo called the Minimalists, and yeah, oh, it's like I don't know where one thing today it. and two things tomorrow and three things the next day, and you get to the end of the month and you've decluttered, you know, yeah. hundred something, yeah. three hundred things. Well, I don't like. know where I heard it, but what I was going to say was it didn't really work for me because I didn't mm-hmm. have the process that you said, which is a thing at the door. 
fit yeah. them in. You know, I go, mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah, no, I don't know what I'm going to do with those. So I'll just put them back where they were. I'll get rid of them another I'll time. remember it tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> so having your step, which is the crucial one, the something mm. to put them in that will eventually uh, have them vacate the house, that's the crucial tip. Yeah, I'm a very lazy person, Katie, anywhere that we can make something <laughs> easier. Honestly, anytime we can make it easier, that's what we're doing. So, yeah, this is the goal. How do we make that as easy as possible? <laughs> Excellent. I love it. So tell me, Lauren, what is it that you do for fun? Uh, I'm sure it's not going to surprise you. What I do for fun would be decluttering, <laughs> making things pretty, making things look organised. Um, mostly the anytime I think about what is fun or what why this thing I'm doing is fun, it's I like taking something that's chaotic and making it simple. Um, so whether that is like doing a whole house declutter, reorganize, or, you know, dealing with an emotional problem that's like spinning me out of my mind and simplifying it to something that I can deal with, yeah. or even just games on my phone. Like I really like the games where you can just move things around and put them in order and create, <laughs> create some order in that chaos. So yeah, that's for me. I just like, I like to find or create a pattern and simplify. Cool. I like patterns too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so is it is your is what it is that you find for fun, is that also what you do to provide relaxation for you? In some ways, yes. I mean, obviously some sort some puzzles are stressful, but I definitely take <laughs> pleasure in them being solved. But you know, I'm I'm not a complete neat freak at all it's not that everything i do is all about decluttering and organizing that's just how i process and explain things i think yeah. i also really love good food i love boutique gin i love good coffee um i love spending time with my friends like normal people do so you know we like having people over hanging out in the backyard enjoying the food and drink and everything um you'll often find us like myself my husband and my kids listening to music, singing off key, dancing around the kitchen, because that's just the fastest way to make something simple and fun. So, yeah. And I guess that's what I do for relaxation too. While I do really love a good wardrobe or pantry declutter, sometimes you don't have time for that. And I like to fit relaxation into as much of my day as possible because yeah. I'm very lazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I also I like. Or relax. Just fine. Well, see, I don't see lazy as a bad thing necessarily. It's, it's, yeah, that's just for me. I quite like, I'm pleased to be lazy. It's what has helped me to make things simple. It's what, what a great analogy, because right? lazy has such a bad connotation to it. So many people do. I'm, I'm taking it back. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I love a nice warm bath. We've actually just renovated our bathroom specifically so that I can get a better bathtub. Um, no, I like I to walk my dog. I like to listen to podcasts and audiobooks and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, or just, you know, flopping on the couch and binge watching some TV with my husband. I know life is full of many things of good that are good for relaxation and fun. Tell me, yeah. what are uh, books do you, because I have Audible, so I'm always yeah. looking for good book rec recommendations. I don't do fiction, but yeah. if you've got any other nonfiction books that you are your favourites? Yeah. I like a bit of both. Um, I love self-help type stuff. I find that there's always a couple of nuggets I can take away. Um one that I would definitely recommend I listened to several months, I think last year sometime, Claire Bowditch. Yes. Woman. Have you read her book? Yes. Um, Your Own Kind of Girl, I think it's yes. called. I loved that book. Yes. And I highly recommend it if you can listen to the audiobook because she narrates it herself. She, like, sings little bits of it. Mm -hmm. And, like, I remember, like, having to pull over in the car because I was crying because I was so invested in her story. And I remember laughing with her as she told other stories. Like I've never felt so immersed in a book as I did listening to Claire's audiobook. So yeah, totally. definitely recommend that. <laughs> and I see you nodding. So you've listened to it yourself. Did yeah. you find yeah. the same? You, yeah. Like I, I 
couldn't stop listening to it, listen to it end to end. And uh, yeah, love her singing. And I'd never heard of her before, didn't know she was a great Aussie artist and, you know, singer, songwriter. And it's like, and such an engaging way she does tell the story. You're right. It would, I don't think it would be the same if you read it or possibly it would. But- I'm sure it's still lovely, but it's not the same as having her tell you herself. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. But yes, like you, I, I do enjoy the nonfiction. Anything self-helpy is good. Um, and I try to, to get out of my comfort zone a little bit sometimes, but mostly I, I end up back in either personal growth type stuff that's sort of business minded or self-help type stuff that's sort of digging inward and yeah. learning more about how my brain works or how other people's brains might work yeah i tell you a great book my my probably one of my all-time favorites i bought it before i had audiobooks so mm. i bought my first version of it at least uh it was probably in 2010 maybe mm-hmm. and i've i actually read that book more than once i've never read a book more than once in my life but i read that i've read that three times then bought it as an audio on my i put it on my ipod and then bought it on Audible and it's by Lawrence Gonzalez and it's called Deep Survival. It's why smart people do stupid things. Right. And it, but it's got really engaging stories because it's about people lost at sea, people lost in the bush, survival stories, amazing stuff. It just explains so, so many things. Yeah, no, I like that. I will make a note to, to check that one out. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Sure. So tell me um about how did your earlier career choices lead you to where you are now because you know we can always look back and there's this Mm -hmm. nice little trail of breadcrumbs that lead us to where we are absolutely yeah I um I think they all of my career experiences have led me here um you know when I left school I went to university and studied economics so mm-hmm. you, you brought up sunk costs before. I'm like, I actually explain that in yeah. some of my courses because it's such an important part. So economics at its core is the dis- the study of decision-making. Yeah. Literally what we do, it's life, making decisions. Um, my paid employment has always been, or sorry, before my own business at least, has always been in very small businesses and I was always the support for the people running them. They were usually very strong, independent women. And I watched those women do it all. And inevitably I watched their health and relationships crumble under the weight of trying to do it all. And I just, oh, I felt like I couldn't help them no matter how much I tried. Like I could be doing all the things, but they still had to have that control and power. And in hindsight, you know, what I was taking out of those experiences was not only how to manage small businesses and how to support people, but also the importance of letting go and of seeking support and outsourcing and all of these things that to me now are all types of decluttering. Yeah. You know, taking things off your plate. I love that. You're just decluttering everything. You're decluttering everything. <laughs> So, yeah, really, that's all my work has, has led me here. I was just going to ask you the question, you know, what drove you into the field and motivated you to stick with it? But you've really just answered that because every all the breadcrumbs have led you to this field. Yeah. And so what is it then that motivates you? Obviously, you're passionate about it. Um, is there some something else about it that motivates you to stick with it? Because you know, running our own business is actually a bit of hard work. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's not for the faint-hearted, um, and so it does take uh, a big why to to stick with it and stay motivated. What's your? Yeah, it's such a good question because it does take a big why to to stick with something that that really is just for you. Like so many women who start their own businesses, even if you have the most supportive people around you, that it really doesn't, it's no, sorry, it's no skin off their nose if you fail, you know. They can love you and support you no matter what, but you need a big why to keep pushing through those hard times. And there have definitely been hard times for me in business that I've just gone, 
oh my God. And I've actually heard myself sort of shout to my husband, I might as well just quit now. And he's like, okay. I'm like, mm. I can hear myself. I mean, if anyone follows my, my own social media and stuff, I have a lot of conversations with myself because that's how you get intelligent responses. And I heard myself saying this out loud that I might as well just quit now. I might as well just go and get another stupid job at some stupid place where some stupid person tells me what to do. And as I was saying it, there's like this other little version of me that just sort of floats over here and just starts giggling and then just starts laughing her head off. And she just goes, what the hell are you talking about? As if there is anything else you would rather be doing. Like there is nothing. Mm that I would rather be doing, even in those shitty times, I know if I can get through this tiny problem and no matter how big they feel in the moment, they're tiny problems, but I can get past that. This is still what I want to do. There's a reason I quit my job and dove into this head first. I cannot imagine anything else being right for me. And it's that sort of conviction, I suppose, that, that keeps me going forward. As we said earlier, I am very much an all or nothing person. So if I get to a point where I'm like, you know what, this is taking more out of me than I'm getting out of it, I will throw my hands in the air and walk away. But I haven't even come close. There is nothing I would rather be doing. And every sort of phase of this business has only been more convincing that this is where I'm supposed to be going and I can see it getting better. So... Yeah, yeah. I think what what drove me and what makes me stick to it is just that I don't feel like there's anything else and that's not coming from a place of restriction, like I don't have a choice. Yeah, It's that this is the best option by far. Yep, satisfaction lives here, baby. That's it. (laughs) And let's face it, any job we've ever had working for other people, there were as many miserable moments, if not more, in those jobs being told what to do and how to do it by other you people. You had no way, no power over making that decision either. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's definitely a plus to that and I have no criticism of people who would prefer yeah. to work for someone else. That is totally fine. I can certainly see the value in being able to come home and put work away. Yeah. And, you know, that, that takes a lot of skill. <laughs> Sorry. And know there's money in your bank account. Yes, yeah. The money still comes even if, you know, <laughs> even if the, the good choice wasn't made. Yeah. But, no, for me, this is what it is. And, like, watching those women and I am so grateful to the amazing women that I got to support and watch their businesses grow because I learnt so much from all of them in completely different ways. But at one point or another with every single one of them. And I'm talking from like my first job, even I just wanted to grab these women and shake them. Just like, you don't have to keep doing this. Can't you see how badly you're hurting yourself? Like you're sacrificing so much for everyone and you don't need to do that. So that was a big thing for me starting this business was that I do want this business for myself and I do want this to, you know, I want to show my kids that this is something that can be done and I want to inspire other people and I want all of these great things that all of us want when we start our business. But I also don't want to be up until like 3 o'clock in the morning answering emails and I don't want to be so overworked that I don't get to spend time with my kids I've put a lot of structure around my work so that I can have the life I want with the business in there not my life as my business yeah because you've got to enjoy it right and and if we're working ourselves so I remember working stupid hours for a company you know going in at midnight and weird stuff like that and um even even if I'd have attained the level of success that my brain thought I was heading towards by being that dedicated and devoted to the company, even if I'd have gotten that success, I was knackered. I'd ruined myself. Yeah. Like I'd ruined the vessel, the, the thing that's supposed to enjoy everything. And so I'd squeezed all the fun out of it anyway. So we can't bludgeon ourselves to death to whether it's for our own careers or working for somebody else or our businesses whatever or even and I know um, you've said you don't have children but I see it happen with mums yep like you don't have to be getting paid for your job for you for your job to be taking everything from you and that's not okay either 
you're no good to anyone if you're no good to yourself. And for me, it has always come back to clearing that space because clearing the physical space helps to clear the mental space. That's not just a catchphrase. It is so true. It really does work. It is the reality, isn't it? The clear space around us makes us, that's why we go on, I think that's why I used to go on cleaning binders. I can't stand it. My mind is too full. I must clean everything and, oh, I feel good. Yeah, it's release. Yes. I I find it cathartic. Yes, Yes, (laughs) as well. So, Lauren, where can people find you if they want to know more about your business and how to contact you and how you can help them? Yeah, sure. So you've got my links that I think you'll put in show notes and all the rest. So Instagram, Facebook, or my website are the best places to start. You can do a bit of stalking there. You can listen to my own podcast, which is called Life Lessons with Lisa and Lauren. That's a collaboration I've done with a Fem Empowerment Coach, and you can find the links through the socials and website. Um, Those are Basically, like I said, you can stalk me, get a better idea of who I am and what I'm about, and then you can send me an email or a DM. I just love to talk to people and, like we've said, I like to figure out what's going on for you and help them find their own way to get out of that overwhelm. So thank you so much for coming on the show again today, Lauren. It's been such a great pleasure talking to you. Um, And thank you to our viewers today for joining us. It's always so hard to say goodbye. So please make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Give us a thumbs up if you found the show enjoyable. And please leave us a comment if there's something valuable from our conversation today that's helping you to overcome an obstacle that you're currently facing. And with that, we will say goodbye for now. And thanks again, Lauren. It's just been an absolute pleasure. And I hope to have you back on the show again some other time soon. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. And, yeah, I look forward to it. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you.